or hear the word of God from Psalm 23. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Nathan Clendenin, and um, Lawrence asked me to share a little bit today uh, a story that I had shared with him um, related to God providing financially. And I'm looking up this verse here. It was supposed to be ready, but it wasn't. In, in the book of John, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, I'm skipping ahead, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so that's the, that's the verse that kind of sets the tone for this. So um, I own a company called Story Driven. We make videos and tell stories about great things going on around the world. Generally, people hire us to do that. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun, it's great. There's a busy season and a slow season. So a lot of, if you think about um, countries where there's like a monsoon season and then a drought season, that's kind of what it's like uh, in our business because people just come to us when they come to us and we've tried to go after sales and whatever and make it more even, but it's pretty much on or off. And so every year coming into January, we're coming off the busy season, the monsoon season, which we're in right now. And we just hope that there's going to be enough money to carry us through the drought. And so um, this past year, we got to May going into June. And normally, it's spring has come by then. And, and think, you know clients are starting to pick back up and talk about doing stuff. But it wasn't, it wasn't going on yet. And um, we had already been hitting the streets, trying to get sales, you know, just calling up everybody that we know, going off going through the list, making calls. Um, I had already reduced my salary to, as the owner, to kind of reduce the, our monthly burn. Um, we, we switched office spaces because we found a cheaper option that, so we could save some money. Um, but it was, it was not happening, guys. And it was, getting, it was getting down to the wire, looking at the bank account, going, all right, am I gonna have to lay people off? I really, really don't wanna do that. Um, so there was really this kind of this one week of reckoning was the, Rebecca could correct me, I think it was the first week of June or somewhere in there. And on Monday, I told the staff, I said, next week we're going to go to three days a week and you're going to get paid 60% um, and we're, we're in dire straits. And if something doesn't change, it's going to get worse. And we prayed and we asked God to, to provide. Um, and then that week, um, 
I feel like that God was just hitting me with this, with this verse that I read, abide, just abide in me. And so I started calling people that have given me advice throughout the years, um, kind of an informal advisory council. And it was like God was giving me a message that was tailored perfectly for that moment, which led to the next person I talked to. Some of these people I planned, some of these people I just bumped into that week. And I just really sensed God's provision, but we still didn't, weren't getting any checks. And so um, one of our clients that we've been working with a long time emailed and said, hey, we're, we, would you send me, this is on Thursday, would you send me um, a estimate for what five videos would look like? And then we don't know how many we need. We might just need one, but we're going to be looking at our budget tomorrow, and I need to see what, that, see what we can work out. And I was like, okay, cool. So I sent him an estimate for five, which is about six months of what we need to stay alive, basically, six months of burn. And um, I was just preparing myself for like, okay, he's gonna at least get one video. That'll stretch us for another month or so. Um, and so then I told, I told the team on Friday, like, okay, get ready, we're doing, we're going to 60% next week. Um, and then I got the, the word on Friday that um, he said, go ahead and s convert that to an invoice for all five. And I was like, okay, <laughs> put the foot on the gas now, we're ready to go. Um, and I tell that story because it, 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 it's not that like when you pray, God will automatically give you the money exactly that you asked for, but to me it was a sign God wants Story Driven to carry forward. And so he's not going to let it die. And I, I can trust him with that. It's not up to me. And so that's really reorganized how we think about just going about sales and doing our business. And we, we just try to be faithful and abide. And even since then, when, when we're in this monsoon season and things are really crazy busy, when I go in and I'm thinking there's about 10 things that I got to make decisions about and I don't have no idea, when I abide and just start there, almost like at that quote from Martin Luther, I have too much to do today, I'll have to pray twice as long, right? Like, that is so true. I mean, when you abide, then I come in, I have this different perspective, and then things just start clicking like oh boom that thing worked itself out before I even had to make a decision or whatever and so that's what I want to share with you all is just abiding in Christ thanks for letting me share I love Nathan's story in that in that it's not a matter of you pray or you act a certain way and you get God to do whatever you want him to do. It doesn't work that way. He just abides. That's what I love about it. It's this idea, guys, I want you to hear something very true, and I just believe this is true for us, is that God's not necessarily about making us fruitful. He doesn't want us to be fruitful. He wants us to be faithful, and then he makes fruit happen. Does that make sense? And it's this idea that when you abide, and this is what we're talking about, our confidence doesn't come from knowing that God's going to always give us all the money that we need, whatever we want, whatever we ask for, Right? Our confidence comes from wherever he takes us. He's willed us to go a certain way, and so we're going to follow him as we abide in him. He's going to provide the way for where he's taking us. Does that make sense? And sometimes that's, he might be taking us for a business to fail. But sometimes he's taking us for a business to be successful. And wherever it is, it's a great ride because the one who's taking us, is in, he's the one driving. Does that make sense? We're continuing our series in the book of Psalms. And seriously, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm loving it. 
I love being in the book of Psalms. I love what happened last week when we were in the Psalm of Lament, as we were looking at Psalm 22. And I pray that you saw this. I pray that if you were here last week and you heard the sermon and you were part of what happened last week, that you saw that it was okay to lament. That it was okay to mourn. Not only is it okay to mourn, not only is it okay to lament, that it's good to lament. And it's good to mourn. And it's not only good for you to lament and good for you to mourn, it's also good for you to share it. It's good for your own soul, yes, but it's also good for the rest of the church. One, because when you share your lament and your mourning, then the rest of the people are carrying it with you, and it becomes a lot easier, doesn't it? But not only that, when you share your lament and mourning, it encourages others. Maybe who've been there, who are struggling there right now, or maybe will one day be there. So they can feel that, oh, wait, so-and-so struggled with that? So-and-so mourned in that? Well, then maybe it's not so bad that I'm struggling with that too. Maybe you won't feel so alone when you go through your season of struggle and sorrow and grief and hurt and pain. Remember that quote I shared last week about Henry Nouwen quote? I'm going to misquote it, so I'm not going to say it exactly correct. But it's this idea that we are people too afraid to weep and too scared to dance. Too shy to dance. We're too afraid to weep and we're too shy to dance. And while we're called on this earth as people of God, we need to both weep and we need to dance. I liked the way we left last week, right? You guys remember that? Was that Michael Jackson that we left dancing to last week? Oh, yeah. And I saw when I saw Josh starting to dance, too, I was like, hmm, yeah, we're family. Cause only, you can only do that in front of family. <laughs> you can only dance like that in front of family and be okay. And this is the beautiful thing that this book of Psalms shows us, the anatomy of the human soul, that it's, we have this picture, I don't know how about you, but if you grew up in the church, you kind of have this picture of churchgoers are like stoic. Right? Churchgoers are the ones who don't get too high, don't get too low. You're just like here. That's not what we see in King David, right? That's not what we see in the book of Psalms. We see some like crazy, goofy dancing, and we see some pillows like just drenched in tears. Right? So for those of you who are here today, those of you who might not have heard the sermon last week, can I just tell you this? It is okay to mourn. It is good to weep. You're not alone in it. And there's others to bear your burdens with you. And let, I want you to say, and ultimately we see that Jesus wept with you. He took upon all the suffering himself. And he knows what it means to suffer. So he can relate with you. You guys with me on that? Today, the psalm we're diving into is the most famous psalm of all time, right? It might quite possibly could be the most famous scripture of all time. It's like right up there at John 3.16. Uh, if anybody says, do you know any scripture? Um, maybe John 3.16 and maybe, oh, the Lord's my shepherd, right? That's what people will say. And I find it's, it's, it's just, it's up to you, but what I find so fitting is that it comes right after this dark lament psalm in Psalm 22. Right after that comes this beautiful Psalm 23 of confidence, of God being our shepherd. Now, quick question for you guys. I just want to get a feel out there. Where do you most often hear this psalm? Funeral, right? For me, I, I actually thought two places. I thought a funeral or like in like, what's that thing called? Like embroidery or cross-stitching? Is that what it's called? Needlework, needlework. It's like a needlework. I feel like I see that in people's houses. Like embroidery, needlework, cross-stitch. I don't know what it's called. Something like that. So there are two places where I feel like I see this psalm. Like needlework or at funerals. And it's great. It's fitting at a funeral, guys. It's, it's so beautiful. It makes sense. To be read at a funeral, it's a comforting psalm. 
but it would be a shame if we left this psalm at only funerals. This psalm is for the living, and it's for this one that you and I should apply every single day. Do you hear that? It's a shame if we leave this psalm just for funerals, because it's a good comforting psalm at funerals, but this is for the living, and it's for us to apply every single day, for us to live in every single day. So before I dive into this verse by verse, I want to share with you something that I learned by looking at the form of the psalm. In the first three verses, David refers to God as he. Right? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores my soul. Then he switches. In verse 4 and 5, he refers to God as you. I will not fear for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint me with oil. Then in verse 6, he switches back to the third person. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. And so the lesson, honestly, one of the first thoughts that comes to me within this is that it's good to talk about God, but you can't really talk about God for very long until you've got to start praising God. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what I see in Paul, right? Paul writes these awesome treatises. He's writing these incredible letters, these epistles to the church, and he's talking about God's glory, and all of a sudden, praise God to whom all this. Is that there's something about when you talk about God, which is well and good, but something about when you really talk about him and you're expressing it, it has to turn into praise, right? It just happened. When you realize what he's doing, you learn in, in David in Psalm 23 here is that he's interweaving theology with prayer. You know, he's interrupting his theological statement. He's saying, you know, God is generous, but then comes awesome, thank you, God, for being so generous. You know, you can say, God is beautiful, but right after that comes, God, I'm just amazed by your beauty. Well, I've come to see that this is the way it must be if we're feeling God's reality in our hearts, as well as describing it with our heads. So even the form of Psalm 23 seems to kind of be designed to to give us a heartfelt experience of God by causing us to mingle theology with prayer and with praise. But that's not all I learned from this form. If you look at the form, you see that he switches from he to you precisely at verse 4, right? He goes from he to you in verse 4. Why didn't he just go on and say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me? His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He could have just easily have done that. Instead, he switches to more intimate you. Right when he precisely, when he enters the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't that a common universal experience for us? It's right when we enter this kind of crisis moment, right when we enter dark places, oftentimes is when we grow closer to God. We're more prone to not let's talk about God, but cry out to God when we enter into the dark valleys. You know, we saw this fleshed out in Brie when she shared last week. We see this in our lives, in our everyday lives, don't we? It's it's in the hard times that we can, you know, we don't really talk about God, but we start saying, God, I need you. Where are you, God? When we enter difficult times. It's like when my son, when he's eating ice cream, he doesn't say anything about calling out to me. He doesn't call out to his father. He just eats his ice cream. He's a happy man. He doesn't do anything else. You can't distract him when he's eating ice cream. You can poke him, you can throw things at him. He's like, shh, ice cream. He's obsessed. He loves eating his ice cream. But when, he's, when he, he cries out to me only when he's scared or when he's hurt, when he's lonely, then he'll be like, appa, appa. Or he'll kind of look around for me, but he doesn't call out to me when he has his ice cream. He doesn't call out to me when he has his Doritos. Guys, there's something about the human condition. There's something about us as human beings that honestly, what happens is when we're only in the dark places do we remember to cry out to God. Isn't, it, isn't that true for us? 
Guys, there's truth to learn while we're in the pasture, learning to be content and thankful. But there's also truth to learn in the valley that God protects. We are not alone and he is all we need. Guys, I want you to hear this. And this is something that I just want you to get. There's, there's danger in the valley, yes, that we'll get angry with God and reject him. But there's also danger in the pasture that we might become satisfied with the grass that we're getting and forget the shepherd that took us there. In the dark is often when we reach out for his hand. In the dark is when you reach out for the hand of God to guide you. It's in the light that we're prone to wander away. Therefore, James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So the form even shows us, and the way the form was, the way this psalm was crafted, it shows us these truths about ourselves. This beautiful truth of mixing theology with prayer and with praise. It's also true, though, that in the darkness, in the valleys, often when we start crying out to God. And there's a lesson to be learned in that. One, and I want you to get this, don't miss it, that there's, there's dangers in both places of looking the wrong way. And so we need to be aware that in both circumstances, it is a shepherd that takes us. Do you guys hear that? So we're going to start off. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is so familiar, isn't it? I mean, like, almost everybody knows this passage. If you're, if you're in America, if you're kind of raised in America, this is just so familiar to you. And it's something that you can kind of miss the magnitude of the words when it's that familiar. Right? But it's just that kind of like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, you just know it. But do you know it? I mean, do you get what that really means? Do you guess, can, you, can you grasp the magnitude of that? David is literally saying the eternal God of the universe is his personal shepherd. Do you get the magnitude of that? Guys, I want you to know the word he uses for the Lord is, is, is actually the word Yahweh, the name that can't even be said. The very God, Holy One of the universe, creator of it all, is his personal shepherd. And of all people, David, of all people, should know what, what it means to be a shepherd. Because he was a shepherd. And he knows, like, somebody un, un, unworthy as him was a shepherd. And shepherds are not known to smell the best. And not known to be the highest people in society. And here he was saying, the God of the universe is my shepherd. And I also want you to hear this. David could easily have said, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our shepherd. But he doesn't say that. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's a personal, beautiful, intimate relationship. The audacity of it, though. The audacity of a man saying, God, the Holy One, you're my shepherd. Possessive. It's about the king of the universe. To call him not only a shepherd, but to also say that he's mine. And there's a beauty in that. This means so much more coming from David because he knows what it involves, meaning being a good shepherd. You know, a good shepherd is somebody, and David, of all people, talks about what it was like to be a good shepherd. He knows that he protects the shepherd, uh, protects the sheep from all the, the attacks of the, of the animals. You know, he's the one that he put his life in danger to be like, oh, there's a wolf attacking, and he'll sling it or something with his stone. He'll attack it. He put his life at risk because the sheep were all important. He knows what it means because he'd, he'd sleep outdoors and be in the mud, be dirty, be smelly along the shepherd. He'll chase after them wherever they go, try to keep them going to, to hard places where there's no food over there or places where they might break a leg or something. He'd guide them. and He'd know that he's saying literally, personally, God, the king of the universe, this is what you do for me. This is who you are to me. You protect me. You keep animals away from me. You take me to places where I need to go. 
You show me where food is. You provide everything I need. You give me rest. And it says the phrase, I shall not want, which is always a confusing phrase, right? I mean, honestly, the, the, the way you translate that is just kind of like, I shall not want. What does that even mean? And it means that there's nothing lacking, that you're, you're not needing anything else. We're being told that as God's sheep, we're not lacking anything. But is this true? I mean, we don't even have to leave Psalm 23 to see that the Lord's sheep do indeed lack things. We are told about walking through the dark valley. It's safe to assume that when you're walking through darkness, you're lacking light. And I presume it lacks green pastures and quiet waters when you're walking through the dark valley. So we lack things. What does it mean I shall not want? Right? In what sense that it can be said a Christian shall not lack anything? This is John Piper's answer to this question. John Piper says, what David means is that God's sheep never lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for them. I'll say that again. What David means is that God's sheep never lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for them. So you can see this in verse 4. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the picture here is of a situation of kind of extreme danger, darkness, a terrible place. It's a place where a sheep's life would be in danger if there wasn't a shepherd to protect it. But why would a sheep be going in there? Why would be a sheep going into a dark place, a dark valley, if not for the shepherd? Not because he strayed off into there, because you see the shepherd is pictured as going with the sheep. The sheep didn't stray off and go into the dark valley. The shepherd is with the sheep in the dark valley. You with me so far? So what that means then is there's a reason the sheep left the dark valley, at, or left the pasture going into the dark valley. He's going to the valley because the shepherd is leading him there. He's going through the dark time because the shepherd is leading him through the dark time. You can see this connection in verses 3 and 4 where it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley, you are with me. So you guys, I want you to understand that the path through the valley is also one of the path of righteousness in which God leads. So why would a sheep, a shepherd, lead a sheep into a valley filled with danger, into darkness? The only possible answer is to get to some better place. Do you hear that? The only possible answer is why would a shepherd lead his sheep to danger, lead his sheep into a dark valley? Intentionally? It didn't say that the sheep strayed away into there. It didn't say the sheep ran away and said, ooh, hey, get away from the shepherd. No, the sheep was led there. So why would a shepherd lead them into a dangerous valley, into a dark place, into a place where it's full of darkness and evils and dangers? To get to some better place. And maybe, guys, hear me well. Maybe you're here today and you're in a valley and you're crying out to God. Maybe you're in a dark place today. Let this psalm comfort you, saying that God is taking you there for a purpose. His rod and staff will protect you and guide you, and he is taking you to a better place. Psalm 84, 11 says, No good does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. And Philippians 4, 19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Can I hear you? Let me tell you this very well. That whatever suffering that you're going through, whatever darkness of valley that you're going through, whatever sickness that you're going through, whether it be cancer, whether it be a disease, whether it be loss of job, can I tell you this, that a shepherd is walking you there, walking you through it, because he has more glory in store for you. Do you hear that? That is not purposeless. See, here's the problem, guys, is that we think, oh, maybe I strayed, or maybe I ran away, but I'm telling you, the shepherd is taking you through the dark place. It wasn't because you strayed, it wasn't because you ran away. He's taking you there because he wants to work out in you a peculiar glory. 
He wants to work out something better than financial glory or financial success, something better than even physical health. He wants to work out a peculiar characteristic in you. He wants to make you more like Jesus. And it's worth more than all that other stuff. It's a better place. So it's not purposeless as you walk through the valley. It's not pointless as you go through the hard times. It has meaning. There's a reason for it. The shepherd is with you in it, and he's walking you through it. Do you get that? Guys, I don't know what valley you're in. I don't know what dark place is surrounding you, but I want you to know that the shepherd is there with you, and you're not there by accident. So maybe you're far from home. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, hey, I just... I'm a student, or I just got a job, and I don't know many people. Maybe you're far from family, and you just don't feel alone. You don't know what in the world you're doing here. Ooh, God, the shepherd has brought you for a reason. And he's taking you through. And you're dealing with that illness, or you're struggling with your children, and you don't know why. The shepherd is with you. And he's securing a peculiar glory for you and your family. And ultimately, he's going to take you to the best place. He's going to bring you home. That's your promise. That's your hope. That's your confidence. Philip Keller, a pastor and author who for eight years was himself a shepherd, writes this. It is almost impossible for sheep to lie down unless certain requirements are met. He explains that before sheep will lie down, they need to be free of four things. Because of their timidity, sheep refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with other sheep. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel the need of finding food. So they need to have freedom from fear, friction, flies, and famine before sheep will lie down. Which is kind of picky sheep here, but let's just say... I feel like that's not even true. I feel like I see sheep lying down all the time, but I'm just saying, okay. Yet in verse 2, we're able to lie down. How is that possible? We know that while we live on this earth, we will never be free of truly of fear, friction, flies, and famine. They exist. So how in the world can we lie down? The only way possible the sheep do, and the only way possible we do, is we have to trust in the shepherd. Yeah, I want you to hear this. The sheep can lie down, not because there are no wolves around, because there are. Not because there's you know, always going to be food around, because you never know. Sheep are not very good at finding food. But they're able to do it because they trust that the shepherd will keep the wolves away. They lie down because they trust the shepherd will always find them food and water. They lie down because if there's friction amongst the sheep, they know the shepherd will stop it. Guys, can I tell you guys, that how in the world could we possibly live this life with confidence? How in the world can we possibly go through? And can I tell you this? One of the things that we're starting, it fits perfectly with our, where we're at with our shepherd. How do we give sacrificially and joyfully at the same time? How do we live in confidence that's not built on our 401k and our nest egg? How do we live? And can I tell you this? This is just for real. I'm just going to go into this because it's, it's real for us as human beings in this culture, in this world, that our security is built in what's in our bank account, isn't it? And this is just being honest. That's our security so often. Our comfort and our confidence is built in, well, we still have that emergency fund. And one day I'll be able to retire. Can I tell you something? Can I just be completely honest and real with you? That's never enough. I don't care what number you ever have in there. 
it's never enough. See, our security, our confidence has to and can only truly be found if we trust that the shepherd will provide the food that we need, the shepherd will protect us, and the shepherd will guide us. That's the only way we can ever walk through this life with confidence. Can I tell you that? The only, only way possible is that there is a shepherd who is protecting us. A shepherd, and because of that, man, I can sleep well. Nobody sleeps as well as children, right? Well, some of you guys are like, not my kids. Man, there is something about children when they're in deep sleep, right? Like when Josiah's in like deep, deep sleep, I can shake him and he's like, and I'm like, I can pick him up and move him around. He's still kind of like, and I'm like, how do you do that? If somebody picked me up while I'm sleeping, I'm waking up. I'm also really nervous. But think about that. That's just crazy. But no, there's something about little kids where they can just sleep so comfortably. Why? Because they know their parents are protecting them. They're like, what, what bad's going to happen to me? My dad's here. Right? What, what, what bad could happen to me? I, I'm in my crib. I'm in my bed. I got my blankie. I got my teddy bear. I'm good. They know they're protected. They know they're loved. They know they're, they, they've been covered by their parents. And it's not until we get older that we kind of lose that and we, we all struggle. Isn't that one of the most common truths for most Americans now that we all struggle with sleep? Because we're, what, anxiety keeps us awake? Fear, planning, tasks that we have to do. Guys, can I tell you that I'm not, this is not a lesson on how to get better sleep, you know what I'm just saying. Let me tell you, though, if we truly trusted the shepherd, really trusted him, really believed, I think our sleep would be better too. We can lie down in green pastures. Our confidence must be founded in him, and that is the only way possible that we can live in this life. We can give sacrificially and joyfully at the same time. We can embrace the worries and the anxieties of this world. And we can go through even the darkness, darkest of valleys and say, this is for my good because the shepherd brought me here. Verses 4 through 6, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want to point out another poetic element about this psalm that I just think is beautiful. In Psalm 23, you see a beautiful juxtaposition of seemingly opposite thoughts or ideas. We see the Lord is my shepherd, right? This idea, the juxtaposition of the contrast between the Lord, God Almighty, creator of the universe, and a simple kind of smelly shepherd. And I love using the word smelly. I've never smelt a shepherd before, but people have said they were smelly. So I'm just going to throw that out there. So if you guys were like, hey, I know a shepherd, they're not smelly. I apologize. I'm just going based on what I've heard before. Throw that out there. Okay. But we have another one we see later on in verse 4. You see on one hand the rod and the staff, and the other side you see that they comfort me. Now you're like, that's another beautiful juxtaposition because what we see, it doesn't make much sense off the top. You see, a rod is more akin to like a whip or like a, like a, like a spanking device, like a belt or a spoon. It, was, it wasn't meant as a comforting device. The staff was used to guide and to protect the sheep, and, or to grab it and to guide it as needed. But the rod was more like, hey, like, get your attention, get, me, get your attention, sheep. You know, a little smack on the sheep to be like, oh, go that way. Not a comforting thing, is it? Right? It's not meant to be comforting, but here it is. The rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comforted the king. How did they comfort King David here? 
How does that make sense? What is he comforted in? King David is comforted by the fact that God guides and is with him. See, what, what that is, is that it's in Proverbs where it says, only the fool fears the rod. And it's this idea of discipline. It's this idea of, of guidance, of structure. You know, he's comforted that wherever I go, God is guiding me. He cares enough to discipline me. Can I tell you something as a parent? There's so much that I've learned and I'm still learning. I, still, I, I need to learn so much more. But one thing I've learned is that this is true. It's actually harder to discipline your child. Right? It, it, it's just, it just kind of is. It's harder to discipline your child because they're so cute. And, or because when they cry, it's the most annoying sound in the world. <laughs> so you're just sitting here like, oh, fine, just take the piece of candy. I don't care. Or it's, I don't, I don't want to yell at you because I don't want to hear you crying about it. Or it's, when you have to discipline them, you have to spend more time explaining. And do, it's harder to discipline your child. I'm just letting you know about that. I mean, for those of you who are parents, you're like, yeah, uh-huh, I got you. For those of you who are parents, you're like, ah, oh, whatever. I feel, like, I feel like before I was a parent, I would judge all parents. Now being a parent, I'm like, no judgment. No judgment on parents. You mm, just survive. <laughs> and here we are. I want you guys to understand that what that means is that when you do the harder thing of discipline, what King David is noticing is that, God, you discipline, you guide, you love, you actually care enough. Do you get that? You care enough that you'll make me, you'll even bear my crying. My mom was the best at this. I'll just be honest with you. Because when I was young, my mom would like, she, if I'd get in trouble and she'd punish me, she would always cry without fail. You know, even if she I did something that was made, really made her angry, she'd still spank me and she'd start just bawling herself. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, mom, I don't want to make you, I'd, like be wor- I'd be more upset that I made my mom cry than about the punishment. And it just showed that my mom cared so much that she was willing to cry to correct me. She is willing to suffer the pain of correcting me. And here's King David. He's acknowledging that, God, thank you. And you're willing to suffer to correct me and to guide me. And how comforting is that? That in the dark valleys, you see there's a chance to grow. Can you trust in the shepherd like that? Does his rod and staff comfort you? Do you see that for yourself? Can you be comforted in the valley because you know that it has purpose? that it's changing you? Can you look at that and you see the valley as times and see the rod and staff, see the difficult times that happen? Can you look at that and say, I'm comforted. Even though it's hard, I'm comforted to know that my God loves me so much that he disciplines those he loves. That he's working something out in me. But doesn't that take a peculiar kind of faith that we need to be asking God for? Faith that says even in the hard times, we say, God, thank you because you're making me into something different, something better. Another beautiful juxtaposition is found in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, a table is, for a meal is a symbol of home, but in the presence of my enemies, just it doesn't make sense, right? A table before me in the presence of my enemies? How does that make any sense? In the presence of my enemies, God, I don't want a table. I want you to have a sword, Right? In the presence of my enemies, either have a sword or have like a chariot or like a a shield to protect me or something, not a table. That doesn't make any sense. I want God to come in. If I'm surrounded by my enemies, like I'm sure King David, and King David said this in other parts in the Psalms, he's asking God to come in wielding a sword to fight his battles. But in this Psalm, he very specifically says, You prepare a table before me. 
in the presence of my enemies. And this is a language of hosting. If you read very on, later on, it says, you prepare a table for me, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The language here is of preparing a table as one of great lavish hosts welcoming somebody into, with full hospitality. So in the presence of my enemies, you are welcomed home to rest and be renewed. You see this in verse 6, you will ultimately dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What God is saying here, what this is, the psalm is saying is, yes, you're surrounded by your enemies, but I have a table for you. You have a home for you. Maybe you're in this place and you feel like you just don't belong. Maybe you're living in this world and you feel like you don't belong. Maybe you live on this earth and you're like, I just don't belong. Let me tell you why. Because you're not made for this earth. You have a home for you. It's in heaven and your citizenship is found there. And C.S. Lewis has a quote, so I'm not going to get it correct, but I just, I just, I'm going to say it this way. It says that if nothing, if you find that nothing on this earth satisfies you, then the logical conclusion is that you are not made for this earth. Can I tell you this, guys, that if you find that there's just something out of place, the way the world structures works, yes, you can fall into it, but there's just something out of place. You just don't feel right. It doesn't feel like home. Can I tell you it shouldn't? Because your citizenship, you are made for heaven. And here's God saying, I've prepared a table for you. So yes, you're amongst your enemies now, but I want you to know that I have a table prepared for you. That he's the gracious host, that he's welcoming you and he has a room for you. There are two dominant images I want you to see. The first one is obvious in this psalm. It's the image of a shepherd. That's the first dominant image in this psalm. But the second dominant image I want you to get is one of host. Right? In this psalm, you see the dominant image of a shepherd, and you see a dominant image of a host. And I want you to see how Jesus Christ is both shepherd and host. In John 10, he's called our shepherd. He feeds us. He knows us by name. He gives us rest. He calls us by name. Some of us may only know Christ as our king. Some of you guys know Christ as your king, as a supreme, as ruler. Some of you guys know Christ as your savior. He saved you from your sin because he died and took upon the weight and the penalty of your sin in your place and gives you his righteousness. So you know him as savior. But do you know him as your shepherd? He says his sheep will know his voice. Do you know him as the one who guides you? and protects you? Do you know him as the one who is with you all the time? Do you know him as the one who takes you into the dark valleys with you, walking with you, intentionally takes you there, so he, as he takes you through, he's developing certain characteristics and glory in you? Do you know him as your shepherd? Do you trust him as your shepherd? That when Jesus paid the price, he became not just your king, not just your savior, but he also became your shepherd. And he fits perfectly into this Psalm 23 as the great shepherd. That Jesus is your shepherd. But two, uh, second part is he's also the host. If you look at John chapter 13 through 16, you see Jesus in the upper room. And in this upper room, he's actually already prepared a place. He told the disciples, hey, go, there's stuff waiting for you. There's, there's, there's this, you go grab this, and you go to this room, and it's all prepared, and there's a place waiting for you. And he enters them in and says, come and have, partake in this feast, this last supper together. He does everything a good host should do. He prepares the place, but then he takes off his outer garment, and he washes their feet. Now, for those of you guys who are like, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean as a good host? He's basically, in language today, if he's like a good southern host, you know, he, he welcomes you into your house, he shows you where everything is, and he says, here's a cheese and cracker tray or something, and I don't know what else you would do. You know what I really love in hosts is like when they do like the cream cheese with the pepper jelly on top? Those are delicious. That's what he does. 
He offers you the pepper jelly with the cream cheese. He's inviting you in. He's being the, div- that's what this, this is what happened is as a host, that's what you would do is you'd welcome your guest in. You'd fill their cup with wine. You'd wash their feet. He, he's the ultimate host here. And he's saying, welcome you in. Let me clean your feet. He's doing the ultimate host duties. He's preparing the pepper jelly and the cream cheese and the little hot dog sausage things in the crock pot. They're so delicious. <laughs> he prepared a table. Not just, for, not just for us in front of the enemies, but he actually prepared a table for his enemies. And not only did he prepare the table, he was actually the feast himself. And he prepared the table, but he was also the meal. That we partook in him in this meal and that we partook in, in the ultimate host. The ultimate hostly dudes. Not only did he prepare the meal, but he became the meal. Now I know that sounds weird. For those of you like, what, he became the meal? This is the idea that he gave himself fully to be your host. Full and completely. He paid every bit of the price, paid all the costs that it took to be the most gracious and lavish host so that now not only do you have a room, but you have a house and a home prepared for you. And here's to tell you something, there is nothing like home. I'm from Panama City. Uh, that's where I grew up most of my life. And I, after I left, I never thought I had felt a connection to my hometown. I was like, oh, it's Panama City. You know, I remember some of the good places to eat, like Quorum's, or I used to get $5 haircuts at my haircut place. My fellow Panama City person was like, yes. <laughs> but after I saw Hurricane Michael go through and just re- devastate and destroy my hometown, then I'm like, oh, wow, I have an emotional connection to my hometown that I didn't realize I had. I actually wept looking at the pictures of all these famous places, that, I say famous, all the places for me that was important, <laughs> destroyed. And there was this connection. I was like, why, why do I feel, I don't, I don't get it. Why do I feel this connection? And there's something about home, right? My parents don't live there anymore, but there's something for, about home for me. There's something inside of us, all of us, that longs for home. We want to be home. Home is where we're known and we're loved and we have purpose. We pump and go. Um, home is where we can be who we're meant to be, who we're called to be who, home is just home. And this is what this shepherd is. This is what this great Jesus is, that he's a shepherd and he's a host. And in what he did here at the Last Supper, he's ultimately saying, I am the great host. I am the host that not only has a home for you, I didn't prepare, I paid the price for you, come home. Those of you who are wandering and lost, come home. Those of you who don't feel like you have a place in this world, you don't know where you fit in in society, you don't know where you fit in the culture, come home. And in Psalm 23 is what we see is what gives us the ultimate confidence, that gives us confidence to live life fully, what gives us the confidence to give joyfully and sacrificially, what gives us the confidence to do the work and calling that God's placed upon us to do individually and as a church body is that we have a great shepherd who guides us and we have a home that's prepared for us. So know Jesus as your shepherd and know Jesus as your host. And let this Psalm 23 give you confidence to live this life well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus, you are our shepherd and you are the great host. Jesus, that you have purchased a way for us, God, that as you guide us, we trust with full confidence that as you take us to the darkest of valleys, that you are with us and you are guiding us and it has purpose. So for those of us in the valley, we thank you for being a shepherd who takes us through. 
For those of us who are sitting in the pasture right now, thank you for giving us rest, allowing us to lie down. May we not wander off in the light. And may we know the shepherd who brings us here. God, and for those of us who don't know you as either, God, may you reveal yourself as Savior, as King, as Shepherd, and as Host. May we taste and see that you are good. May we accept the free gift that you've given to be known and to be loved and to be called to purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.